0: Now uh, we just finished our study in the book of Esther last Sunday, and we're beginning a new series in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And it was decided at the preachers' meeting, but uh, all of all the preachers, you know, love this idea of uh, sermon series, doing sermon series in the book of John. Now, so having said that, uh, we're going to cover the first five verses. The first five verses. So those are written uh, in your bulletins on page 6, or you can turn in your Bible to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So having said that, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things that were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this worship service. Uh, Each and Every worship service is a blessing for us, your people, because through worshiping you, we are reoriented in our spirit and thinking, because in the, living in the world, sometimes we get confused and disoriented by many different things and many, many different distracting things in life. But Lord, life is often uh, boring and seems meaningless. And life is just full of vanity and danger and un- unexpected uh, misfortunes. But Lord, when we come to your word, we come to understand that we are indeed living in this broken world as broken people with bunch of broken people in this broken world. But Lord, you have given us this life-giving word the truth, the true knowledge through which we can understand and perceive the reality behind this uh, visible reality, the true and abiding eternal reality. And we also see where we stand. We also know and understand the fate, the last uh, destiny of this world. And we also Anticipate, because your word says so, and promise so, the coming of the new earth and new heaven. Lord, as I'm getting older, I see more and more clearly that in this life, there's nothing abiding, there's nothing really valuable. But Lord, thank you that our life in this world is not it. We're awaiting New heaven and a new earth. Lord, thank you for this word through which we come to have an encounter with you and your true knowledge and true um, uh, wisdom, and through which we can see uh, beyond uh, what we see with our physical eyes. So, as we go through this book of the Gospel of John, please, please help us to humble ourselves before your word that even though we know many things, there are many things yet to be known. Even these five verses in the first chapter in the book of John, it's just just mind-boggling because there's so much in it. Uh, I almost feel that I'm not doing justice to these verses by just preaching one sermon on them. But Lord, help us. Help us to see what we need to see. Especially, help us to see who the, who the Word is and how we should regard Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our previous sermon series in the book of uh, Esther, and it's even in the book of 1 Peter, uh, we, our primary focus was on how to live in this world as believers, uh, as those who have faith in God. And hopefully we have learned a big lesson uh, that no matter what is happening in our lives, our sovereign God is in absolute control through His providential hands and care. That's what we have learned. So no matter what's happening in this life, nothing um, nothing substantial can ever happen to us because God's hands are already protecting us and sustaining us and leading us to somewhere that is guaranteed. Now, and we'd like to move on to our study in the book of uh, John, in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the life and teachings of Christ Jesus closely in order to have a better and, and a deeper grasp of our salvation through, through the gospel. Now, the gospel of John, we want to know and study the gospel more. Now, if you think that you already know the gospel, praise God for that, You know that you know the gospel. However, we should also humble ourselves before God because our understanding of and belief in the gospel is far from being perfect. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, in the Hebrew way of thinking, there's no distinction between true knowledge and deed. True knowledge is always connected to real action. Now, according to this preposition, when someone truly knows God, when someone truly knows the truth and understands the gospel, he will truly obey, love, and trust in Him. Now, that doesn't describe my life at all. I mean, in some degree, yes, that does describe my life because as a child of God, I love God, and I want to obey Him, I want to trust in Him, but that's not always the case. I see a, a gap, a huge gap of sometimes between what I think I know and the ways I live. It's a huge gap. Now, even simple uh, places like you know First First Corinthians chapter three chapter thirteen. I go there often because I fail in my you know dealing with people relationships you know in my you know respecting and loving uh, my neighbors you know love is patient, love is kind. Now whenever I see myself not being patient and kind, I go there. I mean it's a very simple you know sentence you can you can understand you know love is patient love is kind, but when you see a gap between the word and your deeds, then the, 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 the matter of the truth is that I don't understand. I don't understand the word as much as I, sh- as I should. But that's my point. So as we come to the study of the Gospel of John, let us have a heart of humility so that God can teach us uh, to live out the gospel that we claim to believe. Now, the Gospel of John was written by Jesus' beloved Disciple John, one of the twelve. Now, all the others, except Judas, who betrayed Jesus and committed suicide, and ten others, all the other disciples were martyred. You know, Uh, someone, you know, some martyr was. They were martyred in in Jerusalem, in Rome, and even in India. Uh, Thomas, uh, the doubting Thomas, was martyred in India. Now, however. John had a fairly long life i think you know he supposedly have lived over 90s you know he was in the uh, island uh, island of patmos in which where he re- he wrote the last book in the new testament the book of revelation he wrote first second third john three epistles so he together he wrote about he wrote five books in the new testament Now, the purpose, the reason why the the Apostle John wrote this gospel is explained well in the last verse in chapter 20, where it says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The book of John was written for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised King. He is our King. He is our Savior. And by believing Him, we may have life, life that is marked by truth and peace. Now, you, if you're a believer, you know that your eternal life is secured in heaven for you in Christ. That's what we believe. We're saved by, by the gospel. We're saved for heaven by Christ Jesus. At the same time, Christ also talks about life abundant. Life that is marked by joy and peace. We want it so badly. Now, how can, we, how can we have that? You know, God does not want us to give us miserable life, miserable life, even though he allows us to go through sufferings. But his intent is not for us to have miserable, miserable life. He wants us to be really happy. That happiness, true happiness, comes through believing in Christ Jesus. So, having that in your mind, let us begin our study in the first five verses. Now, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I often say this, you know, when it comes to knowing God, there are three different dimensions. First is logical and rational dimension. You know, you have to know systematically and logically about God and, you know, about who He is and what He does and what He did and so forth. And also, you have to know Him relationally, you know. God is your Father. God is your, your, your God. Jesus is your Savior. Holy Spirit is your Helper. You have to know Him relationally, which means you have to practice in your approach to God, you have to practice to treat Him as your Father. You have to treat, you have to treat the Holy Spirit as your Helper who teaches you the truth. So you have to know Him relationally and at the same time, we must know Him mystically, which means things cannot always be explained. Like Trinity, you cannot explain Trinity perfectly. Now, in this verse 1, I don't know how to explain this logically enough. I just believe. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, which means the Word of God is not something that proceeded from the mouth of God. It was preexistent, Before the creation of the universe. Now the phrase in the beginning in verse 1 refers to verse 1 in in chapter 1 in the book of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth through the word. So at the creation of the universe, the word was present. And as a matter of fact, everything that was created was created by and through the word. That's what verse 3 talks about. All things were made through Him. Talking about the word. Third person singular, Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Which means the galaxies, as far as you can see, planets, stars, animals, plants, mountains, lakes, small insects, and all that exist are created through the power and the wisdom of the word, it means that you and I have our birth through the word. I mean, naturally, usually, when we think about the word, we, we, we think about the word as God's teaching and God's command, you know, the stories of Jesus Christ, but it is much more than that. It's much deeper than that. It is the power and wisdom of God through which everything was created. I was created by the Word, and you were created by the Word. Not only the universe was created by and through the Word, but all things are sustained and governed by the Word. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Which means all this, you know, uh, movement, you know, like this uh, regular, you know, uh, repetitive you know, movement and cycles in the, uni- the universe. Uh, you know, the earth is revolving around the sun and all that movement and even your heart. You don't have any control over the movement of your heart. You're not even telling your heart to move. Everything is moving and sustained by the power of the word. So God, if God removes the word... We're all going to die. That's what I'm talking about. If God removes the word, the universe will go chaos. So for the identity of the word, let us go back to, go back to verse 1 again. In the beginning was the word. The first of all, the word, was, the word existed at the beginning of the creation and consequently from eternity. And the Word was with God, just as the Holy Spirit was with God, and the Word was God. Therefore, the Word is not just some revelations or commands from God. It is God himself. The Word is not something that God created or used for the creation of the universe. It is an attribute of God. That's what I'm talking about. The Word is an attribute of God. You know, you say, when we say God is love, God is wisdom, God is holiness, we're talking about His attributes. Have you thought about that language might be an attribute of God too? Because we are created in God's image. Which means, that doesn't mean that God God looks like us. You know, He created us in His image, so we long for love. We long for justice. We can communicate with God, you know, logically and in you know psychologically, and exchanging thoughts. We have the we have the ability to appreciate the beauty and music, you know, and so forth. At the same time, if the word is an attribute of God, we have been given the ability to accumulate knowledge. And also think logically, so God does not simply possess knowledge and logic, hes both knowledge and logic, because He is the Word. So a lot of times when we think of knowledge you know and, and logic, we consider them as by simply as means to communicate with others and with God, right? But what the, what the Word of God says is that those are His attributes. Those are something that, that, that constitute who God is. And his, his knowledge and logic are expressed and communicated through logical languages, such as Hebrew, Greek, English and Korean, I don't know what we will be speaking in heaven. But we will speak some language in heaven, I think. So language is not something that is created. It is, it is an attribute of God. It is a, it is a tool, it is a, it, is a, it is a means by which we communicate our thoughts, our knowledge, and our feelings, and, and so forth. Now, no other creatures, as you know, have languages or the ability to think logically beside us human beings it is because only humans are made in God's image. And we humans possess the attributes of God, although limited and even distorted by the effect of sin. So let us not neglect the, 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 the importance of knowledge and, and, and logical thinking. I almost feel this way, think this way, that we must treat true knowledge... And logic, which is often called theology, in the same way we treat God with respect and awe. There are there are people in the world today who say that they don't care much about biblical knowledge and biblical logic, which is theology. They just want to focus on their subjective experience and feelings. You know, I just want to feel God. I just want to have experience with Him. I'm not, I'm not so much interested in, in, in logic, in theology, in, in knowledge. Well, they better pay a close attention to what, what the word of God says in Hosea, Hosea chapter 4. It says, my people, are, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you. Because by rejecting God's knowledge, we're actually rejecting God. Lack of interest in knowledge means lack of interest in in and love for God. If you don't love the Word, you do not love, love God. Someone say, well, I don't read the Bible as much, but I love Him. You don't love God when you don't love His Word. Because the Word is God. It also means to us, this now how can we know that if someone or me if i truly love god or not how can i know objectively by knowing how much time you spend in his word that's how much you love god if i spend if i love the word spend you know, enough time in studying and knowing the word, which I want to, that means I love God. But if I don't, I'm showing through my action that I don't love him as much as I should. In a nutshell, without the word, without the true knowledge and theology, there's no genuine faith. There's no true love. There's no salvation since both true knowledge and biblical logic are the true manifestation of who God is. You remember the reason why salvation was largely neglected and forgotten, almost forgotten during the medieval and dark ages in Europe under the Roman Catholic Church was mainly because the church hid the word In Latin, in the language that was almost forgotten to most people. No one spoke Latin. It was like a scholastic language. But the word of God was was preserved only in Latin, and then translation of that deserved excommunication and execution, burning at the stake. You know, uh, during the medieval age, church had everything. Church had wealth. You know, even uh, the you know Pope, you know, and then the Roman Catholic Church—they established their own bank in the 15th century. They had big buildings, and most big buildings you see in Europe are church buildings. Were church buildings, and membership? Come on, over 95 percent of the populations were churchgoers, believers, according to the Catholic standard. So they had power. They had influence. They had fame, they had buildings, they had money, they had everything but salvation. We know that not many were saved. Most of them were on the way to destruction. There is a way seemed to be right to man, but its end is to destruction. Only a handful number of people, only a few people understood the gospel and saw the light, and they were saved. So the truth has nothing to do with buildings and and influence and power and wealth at all. When Luther translated the Bible into German, when Tyndale translated the Bible into English in the 16th century, salvation began to become a vivid reality among believers in the church since God saves sinners only through his word. There was a group of people in France for instance, you know, they escaped, you know, a catholic persecution. They were hand, you know, a number of, you know, a group of uh, reformation, you know, following after Luther's reformation and they were called Huguenots. They went up in the mountain to 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 escape and to, to save themselves from the persecution of the catholics and also to have build their own community like the Cumnan community in the in the in the in the 1st century BC. So they, they formed their own community and focused on faith, and some of them did not even have any contact, many of them, with the, the world outside, and they stayed there for a couple of hundred years. And they came down the mountain a long time later, and some of them went to England and had a, you know, met with uh, uh, John Wesley. You know what they say? After spending a couple of years in the mountain, you know they had, they they were the reform. You know they were the follow, they were the followers of the gospel. You know they were called the gospeler, You know uh, by the society, and they wanted to form their own community. And when they came down after having lived in the, up in the mountain for a couple of hundred years, and what they have become, they have become like demon possessed people. Many of them talking about their visions and dreams and, you know, uh, this crazy stuff. And, 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 and they, were, they, were, they were so perplexed, you know, they started as, you know, the followers of the gospel. And what, have, what, what happened to them? What went wrong after generation after generation in a couple of hundred years? The problem was that they did not take the Bible to the mountain. They had faith. The first generation had the faith in, 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 in supposedly reformed faith in, in the gospel, but they forgot to take the Bible. They didn't. Maybe they didn't have time. They didn't have the Bible available. But they went up in the mountain, just having faith without the word, and the outcome was horrific. Just as creation was through the word, redemption is also through the word. Outside of the word, nothing. No redemption happens outside the word. So let's read verses 4 and 5. In him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I love the ESV Bible, but I have problem with verse 5 because in ESV in the ESV it says the light shines in the darkness. In verse 4, in him means in the world was life. And the life was the light of man. Now, who is this? What is the the identity of the light? See, it's talking about in him, in the world was life. And the life was the light of man. Now, if you go to uh, John chapter 1 verse 9, it is talking about clearly, it talks about Christ. The Word became flesh. He came as the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He's clearly talking about Christ, the Savior. Now, when you, when, you, when you know that the life the light refers to Christ Jesus, verse 5 should be translated in this way. I, I prefer NASB and NIV, in which it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or the darkness has not understood it. The light here, I said, refers to Christ Jesus, and He came as the light. Just as He came, the Word became flesh, the incarnation of the Word. So in a nutshell, the word is Jesus, and he is the light. Therefore, the word is the light, and Jesus is God, since the word is God. All are connected. Now, darkness, in verse 5, the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, what does it mean? What does darkness mean? Darkness is a state in which the light is Completely absent, the real darkness is a state in which the light is completely absent, therefore, in darkness, no one knows about the light because darkness has never seen the light that 's the kind of darkness we 're talking about we 're not talking about you know it is going to get it 's going to be dark at night we 're not talking about that we 're talking about you know, darkness that's been forever, you know. So no one knows about the light and no one seeks it. Because when you're when you're in the darkness you want you want some light, you know, you want to have some light to, to light the you know, to, to be able to see things and to be able to go somewhere. You want light. But when darkness is a state that continued, no one seeks light because no one knows that that even exists. Now, this refers to people's spiritual condition, the Jews' spiritual condition. And when you think about your spiritual condition, you and I were in darkness when we were unbelievers. We had eyes, but they were blinded because the eyes that remained because our eyes remained in darkness all the time and never been exposed to light. Now imagine that when, when there's a child born you know from day one from the from the moment of the birth, you put the child i mean this sounds very uh, uh, uh um, huh. Very cruel. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, very easy word, but sometimes, you know, it happens, you know. But anyways, it, I mean, if you put this child in complete darkness for 50 years, you feed the child with you know, water and food, but 50 years in darkness, and all of a sudden, it is, he's, he's released from darkness, and, and do you think this person will be able to see? I don't think so. The eyes that never had anything visible for 50 years but remained in darkness for 50 years will lose the ability to see anything. And even if it is exposed to light, it will go blind because if you look at the light, the so sunlight, for three seconds, you know, I, I, I don't know I can do this, I, I, I can't do this, but if you just keep your eyes open as wide as possible and, and just look at the light, sunlight for three seconds and Try to look at things, you know, elsewhere. You can't see anything. That's the kind of darkness we we're talking about. We were in darkness. So even though the light shines, the blind cannot perceive or understand. It is only when God opens our eyes can we see the light. The Jews couldn't, couldn't see the light. The Jews could not perceive Jesus. Who he was. The Jews could not perceive him as the true word. God had to open some of their eyes to be able to recognize and perceive who Jesus was and who that light was. Brothers and sisters, have you received the word? one of the one of the one of the clear evidences for our, for our salvation is this if you understand the word that that means you're saved if you understand the word with your with your head and with your with your heart it's a clear evidence that you're saved because unsaved soul cannot understand the word and as i mentioned earlier when we truly know the word, when we truly see the light, we cannot help being transformed. That's a big point I want to talk about. Now, do I know the word? Do I understand the word? I mean, I do to a certain extent, but do I know the word? You know, Psalm 119, I, I'm just paraphrasing it. It, it talks about how, how exceedingly, exceedingly broad the word of God is. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when we truly behold the glory of the Lord, which means the light, the, the light of the word, whatever, when we truly behold the glory of the word, are, we are going to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which means step gradually Little by little, step by step, we we are going to be transformed. So, if I'm not being transformed, when others observe my life, if I'm not being transformed, which means either I don't know the Lord or I'm just being lazy. The only reason why we're not being transformed as much as we should or could is because our heart is not captured by the word. Or we're failing to perceive Jesus the glorious light. Now, let let me be more specific here. Because you know uh, you do you do physical checkup you know every once in a while if you if you work at the company you know they you know, have you go for physical checkup every you know every year or every two years that's the deal that's the kind of deal in Korea but you go for physical checkup sometimes when you have the symptoms right you know I go uh, a couple of months ago I had my liver you know examined because I felt tired unusually so I went to the hospital. And to find out, you know, the doctor was spending, by the way, for about 25 minutes, he was very, 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 you know, uh, kind and meticulous. He was looking at everything and measuring every single thing. And, I, you know, I couldn't help saying this. I asked him, doctor, do I have liver cancer? And he goes, no. And why are you taking so so long? He says, oh, you know, just, you know, there are some, you know, uh, um, lymph that, you know, it's not... Uh, It's not cancerous, but, you know, uh, something is there. So I'm I'm just measuring that, whatever. So I don't have cancer. But anyways, (laughs) by symptoms, we know the condition of our spirit, of our heart. Now, so let me ask you this question. Do you experience anxiety more or peace more? Ask yourself this question. I'm going to ask myself this question too. Is your heart content more or discontent more? Do you love God's word more? Do you spend more time in in, in studying the word of God more? Or do you care about the things of the world more? Do you worry more or rejoice more? These are the questions that we can Ask ourselves to diagnose, diagnose the condition of our spirit, of our heart. If you're struggling with the absence of shalom in your life, do something about it. I, I know that many Christians, many people in the church, you know, uh, even Dr. Lloyd Jones talked about this miserable Christians. I know many Christians are miserable. And I, I become miserable too, to be honest. And the problem is that being miserable is one thing, but doing nothing about it is totally another. So sit there and then be depressed, be miserable and do nothing about it except watching Netflix and you know surfing on the internet. It's not going to help you. Now, what can we do? Rekindle your desire for the Word. That's the only cure, because the Word of God is a life-giving Word. Outside the Word, you will not have, you will not find true shalom. We should read and study the Word with our heart, not only just with our head or mind, but with our heart and prayer, prayer. Is, is, is uh, the word studying of the word of God should go with prayer because prayer one of the functions that prayer does is to prayer engage our heart in the study of the word. Now, I remember I wasn't preparing for this sermon series because it was a couple of months ago I spent the whole half day on verse one because it was so fascinating. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So fascinating. If you just meditate upon this truth. Now, pray that your heart will see the light through the Word. And try to read and understand the Word, not just with your brain, but with your heart as well. And don't just be intellectual. Be affectionate as well. That's what I'm talking about. We have to give our hearts to God. That's why Jesus says, you know the first commandment Jesus gave? God doesn't want us our mind. God doesn't want our mind. He wants our heart as well. He, he, said, he says, you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He wants our whole being involved in the study and love for his word. That's why we pray. Reformed people are often ridiculed by others that we are people with a big head and a small heart. You know, you heard of that? Big head with a small heart. And I say, let us continue to have a have the big head. Nothing wrong with that, you know. Don't be a, don't be a man with small head and big heart. That's, that's a problem too. Let us continue to have a big head. However, let us also strive to have a big heart. Big head and big heart. now we want to love god more and that can only happen when we are loved by god more when we experience god's love more and those two things being loved god by god and loving god happens through his word psalm 1 we just read it says blessed blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. It's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, we want this, you know. We want to be prosperous in our life. We want to be, we want to be blessed. We want to bear fruits. Now every time I read this uh, Psalm one, I'm encouraged at the same time I am discouraged. I'm encouraged because there's a way for me to be revived in my spiritual walk with God, and I'm discouraged because I take it you know for you know I, I believe it but I don't really believe it because I don't practice this as much as I should. I remember long time ago, every morning. I made a, a Bible verse card. And in my driving, I put it on my wheel. I try to memorize it. I go to work and put it out, and take it out every once in a while, memorize it. And at the end of the day, I was happy that I memorized it. <laughs> and most of the Bible verses that I'm quoting these days are the, the memorization that I did a long time ago. Now, to my shame, I say this, because... Lord, help us to rekindle that love for His Word, for you and for me. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace through your Word. Lord, my sermon title was Do You Love the, do you love the Word? Lord, help us to love you by loving your word. Because when we love you, we are loved. When we love you, we are strengthened. When we love you, we are happy. And when we love you, we have shalom. When we truly understand that all you want to give us it's a good thing. Shalom. Help us to trust you and study and practice and teach your word to others. Like Ezra says in, in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, help us to study your word and practice it and be able to teach it Lord, thank you for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.